Hey everyone, this is Race, Justice, and the Church. I'm your host, Nate Winstead. You can follow me at Nate, Knight with a K, wins. Today, we're talking with Pastor Kenny Hart. I am very excited today. We got Pastor Kenny Hart on the mic. Yes, yes, great to be here. I am uh, very excited for this episode. Um, you, you guys are going to get a lot out of this. Uh, you don't even know. You don't even know. But uh, let me tell you a little bit about Kenny. He is a New York City Harlem native, uh, and he's the founding pastor of The Gathering Harlem. Yes, sir. Two-and-a-half-year-old church plant here yep. in Harlem. Uh, Kenny grew up in a nominal Christian home and came to Christ while in college. Mm. Following God's call in his life, he left behind a career in professional baseball wow. and went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary to become a pastor. He came back to New York City and served at Christ Crucified Fellowship in Washington Heights before planting the gathering in Harlem in 2017. Mm. Kenny currently lives in Harlem with his amazing wife, Shanika, who we will definitely have on the podcast Absolutely. soon. <laughs> Uh, they are raising their three boys, Josiah, Jeremiah, and Jaden, and their newly arrived daughter, Jayla. There we go. I say, can't forget baby girl. So they've had, like, when we first planted the church, that's when Jeremiah was born. And then, like, <laughs> one and a half year anniversary, like, Jaden was born. And yep, then yep. I was just sharing now we got Jayla. I, I was sharing that with somebody at the church. I was just like, every new thing God does in our lives, he, he celebrates it with a baby. So hopefully the Lord would just keep doing new things without a baby. That, right. That's, that's yeah. the plan. That's yeah, the plan. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what God does. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, Kenny, this podcast, you know, we talk about race, justice, and the church, the uh, kind of the uh, those three topics and then how yeah. they come together. Yeah. And, um you know, you are Afri half African-American yep. and half Italian-American. Yes, sir. Um, but I was wondering if you could just kind of introduce yourself to our listeners and kind of talk about uh, what your experience was like uh, growing up. Absolutely. Well, welcome, listen. Well, glad to be here, but welcome to this episode. Um, um, it's a pleasure to uh, just be take part in what God is doing in your life, Nate, and the conversations mm. you're curating. So it's an honor and a privilege. So as you said, I mean, I grew up in Harlem. Um, my dad is black. He is from Harlem, born in the old Harlem hospital. Mm. My family has deep, deep, deep roots here. I mean, my uncle used to run numbers and that was before Lotto. <laughs> so that, that, that was what, that was what the black community used to do before they mm. created Lotto, um, which is a whole nother conversation, <laughs> um, even about racial justice. Um, but yeah, so my uncle used to run numbers and my grandmother used to, um, my, my, my great grandfather used to be a butcher, uh, used to be, uh, a, a, a building manager and, mm. and there was butchers in my family and all that other stuff. And so, and that was all in Harlem. And so my history wow. here is deep. My roots in Harlem are deep, but then on my mother's side, my mother was Italian and from little Italy in the Bronx. And so now, oh really? Yes, okay. All yes. Right. So now you have these. Uh, Yo, we gotta say, there's there's little Italy downtown. That's like you know the touristy. Place. Yeah, it's a touristy the little Italy. Real, the little real Italy little Italy is in the Bronx, where a Bronx there's, Tale was filmed. There's a bunch of real Italians and mobsters there. and things yeah. like that. Right. So my family was kind of in that crowd, and so um, my mother and my father met, and and they met during a time, you know, they met during the '80s where. You know, there's still, as it is today, there was still this racial undertone in society that was very prevalent and felt. Mm. And um, and it was interesting because, 
you know, my mother's side of my family never really accepted my dad. And so, really, and yeah, and so, and so, there was always this tension. But my dad is a big street dude from Harlem, so they wasn't gonna say nothing crazy to him. Yeah. But at the same time, there was this racial tension. And so, when I'm born, um, I'm literally born with two identities, right? I have Man. this one part of me that America sees, and when America sees me, they see a black man, they see a Negro, they see. Right. Um, somebody who's dangerous or a criminal or a thug or whatever categories we put on black men in America. But then when I'm around my mother's side of my family, I'm like, wait, this is, I'm this too. I'm Italian. Mm -hmm. I'm my, my uncles are from Sicily. My uncle has a bakery in little Italy, wow. you know, like, 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 so I'm, I'm trying to come to terms with being more than a black man being yeah. more than what America has labeled me as, but at the same time, not being allowed to be seen yeah. as that. Because, you know, if you have, you know, I, I don't know if some of our white <laughs> listeners like myself, like you might not have thought about this, but like if you have any uh, <laughs> extra pigmentation. Yes. <laughs> You are black. You are black. Like, it does, it doesn't like, matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. And I don't think we understand the power of that, Nate, mm -hmm. because that narrative now shapes your consciousness, right? It shapes how you view yourself. So you may be something else. You may be Dominican. You may be Puerto Rican. You may be um, Caribbean. But if mm -hmm. you don't have that uh, freedom to express that and, and express your cultural identity with pride, you, you then now sink to these sort of racial categories. And so now you're just black and it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're just painted with this broad brush. You're, you're, you're decultured. You're, 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 you're seen as criminal. You're seen as dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so those things are, are really impactful on your consciousness. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was a struggle to, to – I, I didn't even identify with my white side. I didn't see myself as that because that's not how I was engaged. And, you know, Jane Elliott, who is an old white lady – March for Martin Luther King Jr., Civil Rights mm. Movement. She said the greatest privilege that white people have in America is that they never have to think about being white. Yeah. And and this is, I think my story is a perfect picture of how that operates. Though I'm half white, I have to think about being black every day. Mm -hmm. I never think about being white. Yeah. Because I'm not, like, I'm not seen as that. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's something for somebody to be thinking about. <laughs> I need to pause, pause the podcast and just, just think about that, because yeah, that's a reality that white people we don't we don't have to ever think about at all. It is a privilege. Mm. Um, how did your parents meet? I don't know. I think they met at a party or something. Like they wow. was they were some party animals. They, <laughs> they, I mean, I didn't grow up in the Christian home anyway, so yeah. it's it's just even fascinating to me that I'm sitting here as a pastor of a church that's two years and a half years old, and and I have you know I've I've made whatever impact I've made for the kingdom. It's just a shock to me because mm -hmm. I'm like I shouldn't be here, but no, they weren't Christian, so I think they met at a party, um, and and they hit it off, you know. And it's and it's interesting. I wonder if you know in another generation, another world. You know, could they have? Obviously, my mother uh, died when I was young, but 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 could their relationship have looked different? Like, mm. could mm -hmm. could could they have built something beautiful? Um, but you know, we'll never know. Wow. Yeah. Wow, man. Uh, so, um, I mean, you you talked about how you didn't grow up in a Christian home, yeah. um, but I would love for you to share a bit of your uh, yeah. testimony. Um, yeah. And how you got to. The Midwest to Oklahoma Sheesh. and Missouri. Sheesh. It's, a, it's a small world, y'all. Yes. 
So, um, so crazy. So, yeah, I grew up in a non-Christian home. Um, it's interesting. Jesus was always around. He just was never uh, <laughs> believed in and followed. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, like we would go to church every Christmas yeah. and every Easter. Okay, gotcha. We we would if you, if pinned down at gunpoint, we would say we're Christians, <laughs> right? right? Like, are you, you a Christian or one? not? Yes, I'm a Christian. Sure. Um, but to be honest, I was more of an agnostic. I had lost faith in God um, around the time my mom had been killed. Um, Mm. She was hit by a car. So for me, it was hard to come to terms with a God that was good, that would still allow somebody who I knew was such a beautiful person Mm. to die in such a tragic way. And you were just nine years old. Nine years old. And so I'm coming to terms with these big life realities, the problem of evil, death, uh, um, suffering, right? And, and, And I had nobody to walk me through that. So I didn't... I didn't feel like there was any real viable answers mm. in religion and God or in Jesus. And so I just would have put a Christian label on me, but mm. I wasn't a Christian. So I, Yo, I, I mean, I just want to say that like young people mm-hmm. are not like, they're not dumb. No. <laughs> young, young people, they're nine, 10 years old. Like that's when I decided to get baptized myself. Right. I understood the gospel and, you know, just. I just want to give a shout out. Like, come on, if you have kids like discipling them. Don't 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 think that they're not going to get it or that's that they're it. not old enough to understand. Like they are. These they are kids. Kids know what's going on. And even if they don't understand, you give them clothes that's too big for them so that mm. they can grow into it. There you go. But you just don't you don't leave them naked. Yeah. Right. You clothe yeah. them even if it's too big for them. I think that's what we do a lot. We just like, oh, you know, oh, oh they're yeah. kids. When they get a little older, then we right. give them the deep stuff. No, give it to them now. So anyway. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, so I'm wrestling with deep, profound questions. I had no answers. I found no answers in God. Obviously, now I know the great answers, but I didn't have any then. And so yeah, for me, um, I didn't just see I didn't see Christianity as an option. So I became a baseball player. I was always good at baseball. I was always athletic. And my dad had sort of a failed athletic career. He should have been more. He wanted to be a professional football player. Um, should have been a professional football player. Mm, yeah, um, he would be amazing. Of, oh, he was amazing. Dropped out of college early mm. uh, over racism. He went to school really? in Wisconsin. Yep. And Wisconsin. Wisco- okay. Yeah, he went to school in Wisconsin, and there was a white kid who was all conference and all this and all that that he was better than. Mm. The coach started the kid over him. Um, wow. when he was in college, his teammates used to say, kill a nigga, kill a nigga in practice. Wow. Yeah. Doing drills and stuff like that. Wow. Like doing the different drills. Like if he would get the ball, yeah, they, cause he was a defensive player, mm-hmm. but like if he would cover the fumble or something, his teammates would be yelling. His own, nigga. not the other team, not the other team, his own oh, forget teammates. It. So, you know, if the, uh, if his teammates was doing that, yeah. what the other team was doing. And so my dad mm-hmm. was actually recruited by Bear Bryant to play in Alabama mm-hmm. at the university of Alabama. Wow. And he was like, I can't, I cannot go to Alabama. They'll, they'll lynch me down there. Yeah. So those are the, that's how real the racial reality was in the sixties, mm. and yep. so yeah, so my that was my father's generation, and so for me, um, I, I just was always like I always, he always lived vicariously through me, like I was going to be what he didn't become. Yeah. So baseball was gotcha. my ticket. My <laughs> okay. baseball was my ticket out the hood, mm. and so I put all of my energy, life, effort, and uh, uh, whatever focus into baseball. So that's. Basically, that was my God. Yeah, growing up, and that led you to Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Don't it, <laughs> what was a to black a junior dude from college? Harlem doing in Warner, Oklahoma? 
Warner, Oklahoma. I don't even know where. I'm from Tulsa. That's what I'm saying. I don't even know where People that is. People from Oklahoma but. don't know where Warner, Oklahoma is. <laughs> Crazy story. When I landed in Tulsa, I cried. I was like, <laughs> what is what this? What is this place? Yeah, I was like, what the hell is this? And, and, and yo, my, my grandmother and my father was with me because they flew with me. And they mm. were just like, and we, we stopped at the gas station. They said, oh, yeah, this is Tulsa. And we was like, this is Tulsa. I was like, so where's Warner? They was like, I don't know. And, and, I, and I was like, well, is that a bigger city than this? And they was like, no, this is the no. biggest thing around here. Yeah. And I cried when I saw that. Wow. When, when I heard that, I was like, it doesn't. It gets smaller than this. <laughs> I I couldn't even fathom a lot smaller <laughs> life being smaller. Now mind you, I had I had been out of New York before, but I had only mm. been to big cities like Atlanta and Miami and Florida, and had traveled there for baseball. Right. So I had never been nowhere in the Midwest, especially <laughs> somewhere as small as one of Oklahoma. Uh huh. So yeah, that was an interesting story. So you drive out there, <laughs> we get to Oklahoma, and you were there for baseball. Just one scholarship. year or two years? Two years. Two years. And two then you years. went to Missouri Southern then State University. I went to Missouri University. Southern State University. In Joplin, Missouri. Joplin, Missouri. Which is I where I went to college at yep. Ozark Christian College. So it's crazy. Crazy. Bananas. Um, and yeah, how did... So you're there, you're playing um, baseball. Yeah. Um, and God meets you in your dorm room, he right? He did, yeah. So it was a it was a kind of confluence of things happened at the time. I had a full ride to Penn State. Um, so I verbally committed because I went to junior college. So when I didn't get drafted, I thought I was going to get drafted okay. both my freshman and sophomore year. After my sophomore year, I didn't get drafted. And I was like, wow, okay, that's all right. We'll be all right. Mm. You know, I asked my coach, hey, man, what schools are looking at me? And I told him I really want to go closer to home. But by this point, I have built really great relationships. So it's amazing to even see God break down racial barriers with a lot of my white friends in Oklahoma mm. because a lot of my teammates became some of my closest friends, but we couldn't be more racially different. Yeah. Right. And so and wow. so that yeah, that's another story. But so and, and that's really what God um, he planted the seed in me to be able to do the kind of work I do now at the gathering and to yeah. be able to do the kind of work I do with, with, well, yeah, let's, with let's, white evangelical let's pause churches. pause and go there. Like, yeah. what? Well, just the seeds that God planted in me through those experiences in baseball, me being taken out of my context. This was the first time mm. I was taken out of Harlem yeah. and I'm brought to a predominantly white context where I'm other now yeah where in harlem in the bronx this this was it was just us it was yeah. people like me and so yeah i had to learn country music i learned what tobacco <laughs> was i learned i learned what chew was i learned what dip was i learned uh, like these go. are all categories tornadoes i learned what to do when the tornado sirens go oh, off Lord. like this is all foreign stuff to me mm. and, it's, and and i'm teaching my friends here's what hip-hop is here's what jay-z does here's what Nas is. You. this okay. is biggie and so we had this like sharing of cultures that was beautiful and, mm. and and we had it around a common reality, which was baseball, which forced us to be in proximity. And I think, you know, this is why the church should be able to be telling a better story. Mm. Because we have something greater than a game that brings us together in proximity. Ooh, there we go. We have the gospel, right? But the reality is we don't va- – it, it speaks to the lack of faith we have in the gospel mm. yeah. that we can't come together. And build across racial barriers and lines. Mm-hmm. Because if a game could bring me and my white friends together to be, to build general, genuine lifelong friendships, how come the gospel can't? Yeah. So so that just says So anyway. Oh, don't so worry. We'll get there. So we'll get there. We'll but I want to say, like, I think that's an amazing uh, testament to how much, uh, I guess, American culture has changed a little bit between your father's generation mm-hmm. and then your generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that... 
that's just a drastic difference. With drastic difference. Um, we're talking about Oklahoma, where yeah, uh, <laughs> there know, was still active KKK chapters. Yeah, near our school. Yeah, Oklahoma is not like the deep South, it's but not. it's more like the South than yeah anything else. It it didn't become a state until 1906, I think. Wow. Um, but oh yeah, I mean we got the Tulsa race massacre, and that's the thing. So you're talking about a place so. where the Tulsa race riots happened. Um, and that was all buried and not talked about. Oh, of course, and just is, recently. That's being, it. Uh, being that's it talked about and looked at. That's it. Which is one of the biggest racial massacres in American history. And so I think um, being able to go to that context and you could I mean, there was an obvious tension. Right. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like it was all rosy. We didn't just hit it off. Yeah. Like, I think we all had to grow to accept each other, grow to love each other. But I was always keenly aware that I was black. Mm. That I was other, that yeah. I was different, and that was that. There was no, but they, it wasn't even anything that they consciously did. It's mm-hmm. just when you've only known whiteness, you don't know how to include. You yeah. don't know, and, and that's even some of the challenges we're having in our society because you know when you're used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Mm. Look out! So, so, so even to think outside of their own world, that's yeah. something they've been never asked to do. Yeah, we, well, we, I mean, white people never have to, like you said before. No. Um, and I think it's um, a powerful thing to think about, um, you know, for those who are listening, like in your context, how can you get yourself, how can you place yourself wow. uh, where you are not the majority, where you're not, uh, where where everything in culture doesn't, totally fit your narrative wow um i mean for that's that's, that's exactly what you've done Nate. what uh has really changed my life is yes i went to school in a place where i was often the only white person in the room and i i worked at a place where i was often the only white person <laughs> and i went now to you church. Start I, a church yeah i started a church where, <laughs> where you're often the only white and person. you know now i'm looking at starting a church in the bronx where i will most likely be <laughs> the only white person and that'll be you know, even by design, because um, there aren't white people there. Right. <laughs> Which is healthy. Uh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, just, you know, a challenge to, you know, God can really transform us um, by getting us out of our comfort zone. And I want to say, like, it's not just about, like, going on a missions trip. No. <laughs> you no. know, like, that's like, no. that's like dipping your finger in the, in the water. I'm asking that's you to it. jump in, that's it. jump into the pool that's and, it. uh, that's it. you know, get in there. It's, it's humbling. It is and, death to yourself mm-hmm. and listening to others and learning and, um, just mm-hmm. growing in understanding the image of God in all the ways that, that he has created us. Right. And I think that's really important, Nate, to park there because you're not talking about, uh, a short-term mission trip. You're talking about a total reorientation, mm-hmm. right? And the problem with our missional culture in America is it's it's very much connected to its colonial past. Yeah, and we don't oh, even yeah. we don't even understand it. We think we're doing the work of Jesus, and we are doing good work in many different mm-hmm. places. But the challenge becomes: how do we go to a place and not be paternalistic? Yeah. How do we go to a place and dignify? the locals of that place mm-hmm. who have been doing life there long before we got there. Yeah. How do we not go there not thinking that we know it all, right. that we have the answers, How do we go that we're going to them. save these savages? Mm-hmm. That is the mindset of colonial America. 
And so often the church has taken, has never divorced that colonial past. And we just reproduce it. Because the thing about racism is if it's sin, like all sins, mm-hmm. it's not going to be eradicated until Jesus returns. Mm. So what racism yeah. does is adapt. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. racism takes many forms. And I think we need to even think better about how we do church, how we do mission, how we do everything. Mm-hmm. Because all of that is connected to a past that we have to divorce ourselves from. Yeah. Yeah. It's an idol. And, you know, I, I you know, you talk about how racism adapts. Um, who we could talk about that a lot. Yeah. But, we, yeah, we, yeah. but idolatry adapts in, in our hearts. Um, not only in our hearts, but in our, in, in our culture, I think yes. that's, uh, something that we don't talk about very much. You know, we're, we're very much like, you know, this is good or bad. You know, we say racism is bad. Yeah. You know, it's a sin. We identify yeah. it as a sin, yeah. but we don't explore all of the ways that uh, it still works its way out in our lives and our hearts and our culture. The same way that greed does. That's it. The same way or that pride or, pride or lying. Yeah. Lust. Um, anything. Yeah. It, it, it's not just a black and white kind of you yeah. do it or you don't. I mean, the the enemy is twisting our hearts mm. and our culture in ways that we need to be aware of. That's so good. Cool. Um, so, yeah, but let's, get back. Okay, let's, go let's back get back to my story. Let's get to Jesus. Let's go back. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm in the Midwest. I lost my scholarship to Penn State. I verbally committed. Mm. Um, lost my scholarship. Didn't get drafted. And so now <clears throat> I'm in a situation where literally my God, which was baseball, was failing me. Um, I didn't know where to go. I had no other option. I had no other uh, fallback plan. There was no plan B for me. Wow. Um, it was baseball or bust. And so one day I just got on my knees and I said, Jesus, if you're real. I didn't, I didn't even know if he was real. I didn't know uh, if he existed even. But I said, Jesus, if you're real, change my life. Mm. They say that you can save sinners. They say that you can change people. They say you can do a miracle. I don't want to be this way. I'm empty. I'm not happy. Wow. I'm not fulfilled. If you can change my life, do it. Amen. And the prayer was no longer than a minute. Mm-hmm. And that minute prayer has changed my life forever. And so I got up from that prayer, had a Bible that I had stolen from my Catholic school. <laughs> so, my, so my first Bible was stolen. Um, so I tell our church all the time, there's hope there. Wow. And, and I want in my one-on-one meetings with people, I'm like, your pastor's first Bible was stolen. So you, 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 you're all right. right a Catholic yeah. Bible. There you it's go. a Catholic right. Bible because I went to Catholic school. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so I turned, I had to Google literally what part of the Bible talks about Jesus because I didn't even know. Mm. I found out it was Thank Matthew. Thank God for Google. Thank God for Google. Um, we didn't have Instagram and all that back then, but we had Google. Uh, and so I Googled it. They said Matthew. Found Matthew from the table of contents. Started reading it and haven't mm. put the Bible down since. By the next week, I was leading a Bible study with my baseball team. The next week. Mm. I have read probably the whole New Testament in three days. I mean, I just yeah. could not put it down. God answers prayers, man. I mean, you pray that. Pray that prayer god i always tell if you're real come to my life is like okay i'm ready i've been waiting on you i've been waiting on you mm-hmm. and be careful when you pray with, with with sincerity and desperation god always answers those prayers oh yeah so be careful what you pray for he's ready to answer there you go like, like that there you go so he mm-hmm. answered mine and boy am i glad he did so you 
Start following Jesus. Start following Jesus. Um, a radical conversion. It was get, like a radical overnight. You start doing a Bible study with your teammates. Yep. They were, could not believe it. You're connected to a church. They're like, yo, we was just in, in the Joplin. club. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> what? Bro, wow. we was just drinking last week. What you mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't believe it. Mm. So you get your, I know you were a part of a church in, in Joplin for a while. Yeah. Um, and then you decide to, um, you know, go to seminary and be a pastor. Yeah. And yeah. leave behind baseball. Yeah. So could you talk about decision. that? And like, yeah, man, that was a hard. That, that was probably the hardest decision I, I've ever had to make. So at this point, I had um, gotten pretty far in baseball. I was in, into my senior year, and um, I was looking at a couple of different pro teams. And so the Washington Nationals were really interested. The mm. current World Series champions. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, and so and so they they were really on me and mm-hmm. actually invited me to work out for them down in D.C. So I went down to D.C. and worked out for them after um, the season ended. And so, um, needless to say, I was in this real limbo. And so at this point, um, a friend of mine had invited me to a prayer gathering. And he says, you know, Kenny, man, the spirit moves, man, and I just want you to go. I feel like God wants you there. Mm. And so I was like, all right. At that point, I was still a pretty young Christian. So I said, yeah. "If you, all you had to say was the spirit was there and I was there. Like, I didn't have the nominational categories, theological category. Though, and, and, I, and I missed the purity of those days because mm, yeah. there was just a purity to my faith where I didn't care what, what you were, what you were, as long as you weren't a cult. But if you said right. the spirit was there, I was there. So I show up, and it's literally a prayer gathering in an art gallery in Joplin, Missouri. I show up there. Now, little did I know these people were connected to the IHOP movement. Oh, okay. So I didn't know about any of that at that point in Kansas City. Yes. So I didn't know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Not the pancakes, y'all. The International (laughs) House of Prayer. Prayer, so, not pancakes. Prayer, not pancakes. Oh, pancakes are delicious. Um, so I'm I'm I I I go to this thing and and what's crazy is, so I walk in, and my boy is like, yo, Kenny, there's somebody I need you to meet. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm, this, is your, this is your vibe. This is your world. I'm living in it. So I'm walking, I'm walking in, and so I walk, we walk up to this gentleman who's in the front. I can tell it off off the bat, he's, he's a leader here. Like, he's one of the voices yeah. that speaks. So I walk up to him, and he's talking to somebody. And so he starts talking, then he sees me. And so he stops what he's saying. He says, hold on, brother, hold on, brother. There's something about you. And so I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm looking around like, <laughs> me? I just got yeah. here. I don't even know nobody. right? Mm. I, he brought me. Um, he's like, nah, brother, there's something about you. He looks me in the eye. He says, um, he says you're a baseball player, aren't you? Mm. So I'm looking at my boy, and I'm like, yeah. why are you telling this stranger right, all my yeah, business? Yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. He didn't tell me nothing. Like, you're a baseball player. And I was like, Yeah. He says, and you're a good baseball player, too. You hit home runs. You do all that. And I was like, I'm all right. Because at this point, I'm thinking this is an inside job. This might be a cult. I didn't know what was right, going on. Right, right. I just woke up to a person. He tells me I'm a baseball player. Right. Like, you didn't even ask me my name. Right? And so he says, um, no, no, you're a good baseball player, too. He says, um, he says but God, God wants you to know that's not why you're here. And so I'm like, What? He said, so now he looks me in the eye and gets real serious. He mm-hmm. said, there's a powerful anointing on your life to preach the word of God. And God is going to confirm that with great signs and wonders. Wow. And the Lord wants you to know this is confirmation. Wow. I mean, <laughs> you're just Nate, like... my jaw was on the floor. Yeah. Because at this time, before this, nobody but my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, knew that I was wrestling with mm. ministry or baseball. 
Wow. That's how I got there. Mm. And the prayer that I was praying that week leading up to this prayer gathering was, Lord, my eyes are naturally blind, so you could be showing me your will for me, and I'll miss it. Wow, that was your prayer? My ears were naturally deaf, so you could mm. be telling me what your plan is, and I won't hear you. Yeah. Make your call on my prayer. life clear to me in a way that I cannot miss. <laughs> wow. No, wait. You ready? <laughs> wow. I said, give me confirmation. Oh, my goodness. Nate, when Ask this man looked at me and, and said, the Lord wants you to know this is This is confirmation. confirmation. You're like, all right. I was done. Wow. I didn't play baseball another yeah. year after that. Wow. I walked away. Mm. So as crazy as that is, it took that kind of prophetic word yeah. to get me to drop. Because I still was trying to figure out how to make baseball. Because yeah. I had been doing this since I was five and God had given me a gift in it. And so I didn't know how I was going to let go of it. But, it, but that word gave me the courage to now face family, friends, and everybody else. Because even to this day now, I walk through Harlem and I'll find a friend from high school. I run into somebody from high school. And they're like, yo, I thought you would be playing for the Yankees by now. <laughs> right. Because yeah. that was what right. they That's knew me as. Your whole life was I was going to be the one that made it. Yeah. And I know you, you talk about <laughs> when you told your father and he was like, what? Yeah, my dad didn't talk to me for three months. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? This is crazy. Yeah, he thought I was brainwashed. Because he wasn't, he wasn't really a believer back then. No, and he thought I was being brainwashed. He mm, thought, um, yeah. I th he thought somebody got a hold of me and messed with my mind. He didn't know what happened to me. Mm. So... I mean, the spirit messed with the you. The spirit did something <laughs> to me. Well, and I tell people, I didn't get drafted in the major leagues, but I got drafted. Yeah. I just got drafted to a higher team. Jesus drafted me. Man, so you go to the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Oh, Lordy. In, where is that? Kentucky? Louisville, Kentucky. Yes, sir. Louisville. 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 You got to say Louisville. I used to say Louisville. Louisville I say Louisville because I'm from New York, but they, they used to correct me. It's Louisville. It's Louisville, Kentucky. So you and Shanika, mm -hmm. my wife, you got you got married uh, before y'all went. 2010. 2010. So you go. To I started seminary 2011. Baptist, and you know, it, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. We, you know, I want to. You know, we talk about race. Uh, so like, you know, I imagine y'all are it's Kentucky. Two of uh, not a lot of people of color. There. No, we're not. No, we're um, not. No, we're so not. So you get a great theological education. Awesome. Um. Uh, but but what, are, what was it like that's just it. being in that? I, I got uh, a great theological education, but right, yeah. and and I think so. What I'm forever grateful to Southern Seminary for is the theological framework they provided me, um, the training in the original languages, the historical context of Scripture, the Old Testament, New Testament, hermeneutics. Um, um, all of these things, like mm. they have profoundly shaped my ministry. They have made me a better teacher and a better thinker of the faith. Yeah. Now, with that out the way, <laughs> um, there were some. There was there was some deeply problematic things mm. in my experiences, and they all centered around race. So one of them was, and there was one black professor in the entire school. Wow. wow. And I never had that professor. <laughs> Not even black. There was one minority. Yeah. There was one non-white professor mm. in the entire school during my time there. I mean, so we're talking Asian. We're talking Latino. We're talking. I mean, there was one non-white professor. Yeah. Um, that was deeply, deeply troubling to me. Um, I didn't. I, I mean, we knew. Me and my wife knew that these were realities, but we didn't. It didn't really strike us as 
odd until Ferguson. Really, until Trayvon. Mm, okay. It started with the Black Lives Matter movement, but in particular, the Trayvon Martin case. Because mm, that was 2012? <clears throat> that was around 2012. That began to disrupt us. It didn't make us feel mm. like there's a deep problem here, there's some, there's some blind spots that are not being addressed, but it just disrupted us. Mm. Then, when, when Ferguson happens... And and I think we got bombarded from 2013 to maybe 2017 with just a confluence of yeah. black death, yeah. a confluence of, of 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 the of the historical band aid, the the, the band aid of of racism and white supremacy in America got ripped off, right? In 2013 2017, when we just got bombarded culturally with all these images of black death, mm. right? And and how the system was targeting black bodies yeah and so and how there was no justice for those black bodies and so um i think around mike brown that was when i really started to look around and ask questions i'm mm. like okay um i would ask professors like okay i understand what it means to be a christian in america yeah you've taught me well on that i understand personally what it means to be a black man in america mm -hmm. you haven't taught me nothing on that yeah. But help me understand what it means to be both. Mm. And the kind of generic responses I got mm. made me feel like I need to get out of this place because there's no answers here for me. Mm. That I've hit a ceiling here. Yeah. And if I'm going to continue to follow God towards deeper levels of consciousness... I need to leave this place. Mm, yeah. And so I left seminary a year before because the kind of stuff that I was hearing was all lives matter. Mm -hmm. We're all created in the image of God. Right. All right. these sort of truisms um, that had no bearing on the actual lived experience right. of black and brown people in America yeah. and on changing or transforming the systems that target us. Mm. And so for me, I was like, yeah, I got to go. And so I left a year early before I graduated, switched my degree. Mm. I was on track to be an MDiv. I switched my degree so I can graduate a year early. Mm. Um, and then I finished the last semester in New York um, as an assistant pastor at a local church in Wash Heights. Wow. Because I needed to go. Mm. Wow. It was that real. That's, I mean, wow. I didn't, I didn't know that you... Went ahead and transitioned. Um, so I was supposed to that have that an was part of that. Yeah. I was supposed to have an MDiv, but I transitioned to an MA because I literally the only thing I had left to take for my MDiv was Hebrew. Yeah, but I just couldn't stay. Yeah, I had to go. I mean, that's that's a huge thing that uh, you know in you know I just graduated from seminary um, this year, and so you know that seminary has been like in my mind. Yeah, and like on Twitter, <laughs> good old Twitter, um, <laughs> old Twitter. You know, people talk about people of color will talk about um at different you know different evangelical s seminaries in the uh, country about how you have to you have to create your own syllabus in a way wow. you have to find your own books that's so good by people of color because it's, it's, not, it's not just it's not there it's almost like people of color have not had any significant contributions to the christian faith mm. For the last two thousand years, and we know that's just asinine. That's yeah. that's absurd. Yeah. But the reality is, the way we structure curriculum and the way we teach, and the way in the in the in the in the in the representation of the faculty screams that to us. Yeah. But the reality is, and, and this is the stuff that got me frustrated. As I left seminary, I'm sitting here and I'm doing my own research now, and I'm finding things like, oh, Saint 
Augustine was African. African. <laughs> He's from Africa. Wait, nobody told me that. Yeah. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. We're we're reading the city of God. We're reading his letters. We're reading mm-hmm. his works. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding out now, not while I was in seminary, that this man was African. That one of the great founding fathers of the faith was African. One of the patristics mm-hmm. was African. Yeah. And and nobody told me Tertullian mm-hmm. was African. Yeah. So all these people who def- the man who defended the Trinity, who helped us have the orthodoxy we have today, was yeah. a black man, right? And so Simon of Cyrene was African, mm-hmm. and 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 all these other biblical figures. And Jesus went to Egypt as a, as an infant right. and fit right in. Right. And so I'm looking at all these stories in the Bible, and I I, I was coming to terms at this time also with. A, a a prevalent narrative in the black community, mm. which is Christianity is the white man's religion. Right. So the challenge for me as a black man to reach people like me is they look at this faith, which historically has been whitewashed, mm-hmm. and they think there's nothing in this for me. Yeah. This is this is a brainwashing tool. This was used during slavery to oppress us. Mm-hmm. One story about Howard Thurman I came across blew my mind. Howard Thurman was a great Christian thinker. Um, lived in the lived in the um, early 20th century. Howard Thurman said his mother, his grandmother was a former slave. His grandmother, uh, after the Emancipation Proclamation got free, didn't know how to read or write. But she always said to herself, "If I ever get free, I'm when and I learn how to read, I will never read anything from Paul." Wow. So Howard Thurman one day asked her and said, "Why? Why won't you read Pauline? Because he used to read to her every day." Mm-hmm. And he said, "Why won't you let me read Paul?" She said, because the slave masters would have their preachers come mm. every week to the slave camps, and they would have church. And mm. in that church, the only sermon we heard every Sunday was, was slaves obey, obey your master. masters, yeah. for mm. this is right in the eyes of the Lord. Mm. And he would just go on a soliloquy on how we needed to be obedient to our slave masters. Yeah. And she said, if I ever learn how to read, or if I ever have the Bible read to me, I will never read anything from Paul. The only thing he said she would let him read from Paul is 1 Corinthians 13. Mm. This is why it is so problematic, why racism is not just hurting us. It's not just hurting people of color. It's hurting white people, too. This woman, who is a believer in heaven, couldn't read one of the most important biblical writers that the church has ever seen because of racism. Yeah. Because of how it was weaponized against her. Mm. Well, man, we're I'm gonna <laughs> we're gonna cut it off right there to leave y'all hanging. We're gonna keep this conversation going in the next episode. Yes, uh, but yo, that's <laughs> that's a pregnant pause right there. Pregnant pause. Um, but yeah, we're gonna be back uh, next time with uh, Pastor Kenny. Uh, we'll see you then. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you.